Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And I'm Julian Ho. And welcome to episode... Of Seven? Six? Eight? Eight? <laughs> somewhere, somewhere between six and eight. Okay, episode six, break. Episode seven, break. Episode eight, break. And then Alicia will work out what one it is and, and get rid of the rest. Of veterinary ramblings. <laughs> hey, and good evening to you, Mike. Good evening. Oh, I've got one over here, actually. I've got, oh, an, ex- I've, nice. I've got an exotic mix one tonight. You'll find out in a minute. But, uh, I can't wait to see. Mm. We've got a, a guest on tonight, Mike. We, we have got a guest. I think, I think you'll find him um, great fun. Um, his name is Andy Langdown. And Andy Langdown, now you told me about him before. He's one of your cycling buddies. He is one of my old cycling buddies. Um, still is, sort of, apart from I don't ride a bike anymore. And um, he goes by the name of Mr. Not Doctor. Oh, so he not, must be a surgeon then. Not Doctor, right. he's a surgeon. So right. Andy Langdown, Mr. Andy Langdown, is an orthopaedic surgeon down here on the South Coast. Uh-huh. And he... I think he specialises in endoscopic surgery. So let, let's get Andy Lang down in and let's ask him. Andy, good evening. Good evening. How are you guys? All right? Excellent. We're fine. How are you, Andy? Uh, yeah, are you I'm just putting Andy? you on a full screen here to, uh, to get the full effect, really. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. But those who are using video uh, may notice, if they've seen the previous episodes and they're not getting treatment for it, they may notice that, in fact, that this has changed. This used to be a bromeliad, uh, ananas species, uh, but now it's actually cocoma. And cocoma... No, no I'm, not, I'm not wearing that. I'm not, I'm not no, having that, Julian. Is, I think... No, post- bottom line is, you've just had lockdown and a haircut. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say, Andy. That's exactly what I was going to say. Andy, I, I, Mike, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've just introduced you as, as Mr. Andy Langdown. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, yes. well it, it, it's interesting. There's an interesting comparison here because um, Julian, I, I don't know how many degrees Julian's got, but his latest one was, was a veterinary degree. And traditionally, vets have always been called Mr. Miss or missus very few people call me missus very few yeah very a, a few. number call him miss but that's that's another only at weekends no 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 <laughs> it's something to do with this catheterization technique yeah um, another miss yeah <laughs> but, the, but it was an interesting thing here because obviously andy you, you studied medicine and mm-hmm. so you first graduated as a doctor mm-hmm. you then spent nth number of years in, too many, too many in, in extended studies and um, spending time on rotation and studying to specialise in orthopaedics mm-hmm. and to become a mister. Mm-hmm. It's only recently that vets who uh, have taken either a, a five or a six year or, or sometimes in some cases even a seven year degree have been allowed to call themselves doctor. And of course, all the doctors of philosophy are now up in arms because they did their first degree and their second degree and their PhD to earn their doctorship or doctoratship or whatever you want to call it. But you know the history of the Dr. Mr. Saga. I, I know I know at least one myth of that history, whether it's true or not, uh, about the best surgeons being uh, butchers in those days. No, it, exactly. it was it was originally the Royal College of Barber or the College of Barber Surgeons of England. Okay, so they applied to have their members, and there were probably only about twenty of them at the time, recognised as doctors because they were performing treatments on patients. The Royal College of Physicians basically, excuse my French, said, "Fuck off! You haven't got a medical degree. You can't call yourselves doctors." So there was a group, a core group of about five of them that did actually go to medical school, got a medical degree, became entitled to call themselves doctors and said, fuck off, we don't want to do that. We're going to call ourselves Mr. We're better than you. We're doubly qualified. 
and the the old um, oh. white and red uh, revolving thing for the, for the barbers, blood and bone, as uh, a result of um, you know the College of Barber Surgeons of England. But that was given a royal decree, ooh, somewhere in the 1700s. So it became the Royal College of Surgeons of England. Hmm. But we Gosh. today remain the only Royal College of Surgeons, you know, those in the UK, where our surgeons are not known as doctor, they are known as mister. Now, to flip the coin, and this is why I said you can call me what you want, Mike, because I am now a visiting professor of orthopaedic surgery in Dubai. Right. And, and it's fascinating there because wherever you go in the hospital there, they will call me Dr. Andy. Dr. Andy mm -hmm. this, Dr. Andy that, whatever. And it, it's totally different to, to get used to. Um, it, it's just a cultural thing. It's absolutely fun. You go to the States, your doctor, Mr. is very strange to them over there. Yeah. I, I used to I used to work, uh, when, when I did HIV research, my um, uh, my boss, a lovely guy, uh, he was Austrian, and he was called Herr Professor Doctor. Um, now, he um, he got a... He was a medical doctor, so he got a, 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 a medical doctor, doctoring degree. Uh, he then did a PhD, and so technically he called himself, or was allowed to be called, Herr Doctor Doctor. But then he became a professor, so it became easier because it was Herr Professor Doctor, not as comfy as Doctor Doctor. Mm. So, are, are you a general author board, Andy? Or do you have a... I'm a hip and knee specialist. Are you? Um, I do general trauma. So whatever I'm on call tomorrow. So whatever comes in tomorrow, if it's within my remit to do it, that's fine. Um, but is that like broken bones then, Andy? Sorry? Is that like broken bones? He has a fracture. I can fix it. Yeah, yeah. he has okay. a broken bone. You have to fix it. It is the law. Okay. Gordon's alive! Seems to have streamed Brian Blessed there. I do apologize. <laughs> Weird, Julian. Incredible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, uh, we better be careful here, Andy, because we're going to get into climbing stories if we're not careful. Because oh, yeah. he's climbed Mont Blanc about 50 times. and No, only, only one and a half times. Oh, Italian yeah. hospitals are lovely, you know. Oh, They're really nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you end up falling. Yeah. Uh, ha hasten hape. What? Go on. High altitude pulmonary edema, high altitude cerebral edema. All right. Yeah. Oh. My my climbing buddy knew there was a problem when he said um, loosen the the green rope, and I had absolutely no idea what green meant. I knew there were shades of grey, but I didn't know what the concept of green was. Uh, so. Yeah, that's the safe word, isn't it? Again. <laughs> that's the grey. That's right. Yes. Yeah, and again, there are no safe words on this show. Yeah. If you if yes. talk to your your colleagues or. Um, if we start playing with the um, hypoxic training, um, if we wear a gimp mask, Mike. Yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. If if I if we ever actually get together and start doing that, I will only take you to about three. Be clear, be clear. You are talking about hypoxic training on a bike here. You are not talking <laughs> about your kinky sex fetishes. Green, green, green. <laughs> Is this our safe word? <laughs> green! 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 <laughs> green! 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 An airport case, or are you just pleased to see me? It was, it was an airport case, yes. <laughs> well, recognise. You, 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 know, you know your Apple products, other uh, telecommunication products are, are available. Are available, yeah. Good, are they, to be fair? Not as good. No. So, hips and knees, Andy. Yes. And bumps a daisy, of course. Hips and and so, is, is that um, uh, replacements or fixing? Oh, or see, now you're on to a big, big, big subject. Um, yeah, self-analysis. I'll give you a bit of self-analysis. Mm -hmm. um, I get bored. Okay, it's, it's actually quite easy to, to get bored doing the same old thing. Oh, and I know. I I, I said many, many years ago, look, you could train a monkey to do our job. It's just that the monkey doesn't have a mortgage and a wife and kids to support. <laughs> so the monkey would just fuck off and say, I'm out of here. I've done all of this. 
So, oh yeah, um, you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, however, monkey mortgages are available, and, <laughs> and very often they have extended families. Yes, they do. They don't have responsibilities because they don't give a fuck about them, do they, Mike? That's the problem. No. Not in my experience of monkeys, but there is a monkey story that I could tell you here that would link to that and link bonobos might bicycle things. Hmm? Bonobos might, but strictly speaking, they're apes rather than monkeys, aren't they? Yeah, bonobos are. But speaking, of course, the phrase is "I don't give a monkeys." Well, yeah, yeah. That, that's very true. But I mean, obviously, most people would would associate monkeys with chimpanzees. And uh, well, that's I, I spoke with, isn't it, of some sort? What a chimpanzee. No, a monkey crossed with a chimpanzee. Well, if you would associate be. a monkey with a chimpanzee, you get some sort of hybrid. No, no, they, they won't cross. They're, they're they too cross. genetically distinct. So, uh, they, they, the chimpanzee is likely. To, yeah, the chimpanzee is. I'm trying. No, no, the, the chimpanzee is likely to eat its mate. I bet it's tried first. I bet there's a chimpanzee somewhere. Yeah, thought. What? And then eat it? Winking at me. I'm going for that one. I'll eat you first. <laughs> yeah, whatever but, but, um, but in, the work, in the work that i've done with chimpanzees i was i was cautioned right from day one you know be careful with these guys well no what what what, what the analogy was was be careful with these guys because you give them a bicycle and the first day they'll learn to ride it and the second day they'll take it apart to find out how it works mm. really yeah and time trialing was born and time trialing was born back in the third. No, I wasn't the birth of time trialing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, it probably was the birth of prehistoric time trialing, wasn't it? What, for me? So to help Julian and those that don't know, a time trial is the most bizarre form of bicycle racing where hmm. you each rider sets off to ride a certain distance down the road and they sort of set off at one-minute intervals. And seemingly in, in, in Britain, it's, we're quite good at time trialling. All of the, all you know the big where it all came from, Mike? Well, it, it came from originally, as, as I understand it, it, it came from when racing bicycles on the road was outlawed. Yep. yep. Is that? It, it is. So bunch racing was outlawed. Are you looking at really 1930s, 1940s? Right. Um, so a few things happened. Number one, you couldn't ride a bike in a competition on a road. You could be arrested for it. So what time trialists did <coughs> was they, they had a predetermined course. All the courses were ascribed a certain number. Now, it, I mean, it's a bit like um, the positive fish sign on the back of a God Squaddy's car. Um, you, you know, the old religious symbol, etc. So the P841 is a course that starts in Funtington, goes down to the top of Chichester at the um, Northgate roundabout and comes back and finishes um, just outside of Funtington. And time trialists would know that. The P um, gives you the, the idea that it's in the Portsmouth Fairham uh, area and the 841 is another sort of suffix that tells people where it is. And so they were starting at a particular time, pushed off at a certain interval. They usually wore black so that if they were stopped, they didn't look like they were in team race colours, etc. And so that's why the majority of cycling gear nowadays is black. That and the fact that actually, if you have shorts of a different colour, it does almost show what religion you are. So, you know, there's going to be something. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not pretty, is it? There we go. The, the history of time trials. Yeah. Orthopaedics. Okay, so hips and knees. Yes. Yeah. Back in the room. Um, yeah, hips and hip replacements, knee replacements, all sorts of different um, sorts of those. I, I must admit, I find the whole concept that here we are in the 21st century, you've got a slightly worn out hip or you've got a worn knee, have a chunk of metal and plastic. Mm. I find that a little bit defeatist. Oh, your hips worn out, have a hip replacement. Um, However, having said that, that they are massive success stories. So um, the 20th century really was um, innovation in terms of joint replacement, how you do it, what you put in, how you improve the outcome, etc., etc., etc. And there's no doubt about it; they have been phenomenally successful. But they're very much end-stage treatments. You know, your joint's knackered, have a new one, and it's not without its complications. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
regrettably, I see a lot of young people. I saw a young lad yesterday. He's 16. I did his hip replacement just before Christmas. What? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, Sequelae of a childhood uh, hip uh, condition called Perthes disease. No, uh, no, we, we see that in Westies, in dogs. Yeah. Uh, calf leg Perth's disease. So it's femoral head ischemic necrosis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the, the problem is how the femoral head remodels. And mm. if it remodels concentric ball in socket, they'll do very well. If it remodels flat mushroom, mm, they'll do okay, but they'll have restricted movement. And if it crumbles, then you've got a hip that's knackered and mm. you're going to put a joint replacement in it and otherwise wrong age to do it to be fair this young lad is delighted and i did it just before christmas and just before he was discharged from hospital he said best christmas present i've ever had well he he was able to go out for a walk with his mates but then would spend three days in bed because he was really struggling now he's kicked all around he's more or less pain-free he's got quality of life back you know etc etc so that that's great and there's no doubt about it. it it is a massive success story but there is an economic problem with doing joint replacements in young patients because you look at the fact that they have a bearing surface which is non-biological. It's only ever going to wear out. And when it starts wearing out, the problems are that it starts loosening around the implant and then you're doing another one, which never quite lasts as well as the first, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's if it all goes well. If you have complications, et cetera, then you run into the issues of funding the treatment for those complications. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that we we mentioned Perthes there because of the three childhood conditions, Perthes slipped up a femoral epiphysis where the growing part of the ball just slips back. Popped off. Mm -hmm. um, And dysplasia, so when the hip socket is a little bit shallow. What we know is that the shape that the hip develops influences whether or not that hip is going to last you a lifetime and it's probably more influential um, than what you do with it in your lifetime so fascinatingly there is now and you, you probably do get this in animals as well Julian. we get all of these in animals yeah i could see we, we could fill a whole evening up chatting about these three things yeah but hip impingement is massive 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 business and it's just so poorly recognized So if you imagine a a ball in a socket, if the ball is beautifully spherical and the socket reciprocates it and they both point in the right direction, you've got a hip that will move really, really well and it will do pretty much anything you want to do. But once you get the hip up to that sort of position with the Mm -hmm. neck of the femur touching the margins of the acetabulum, then you've got impingement. And what happens is the hip actually starts levering out. And you can see that on radiographic imaging when you screen patients that have got this problem fascinatingly the growth of the hip finalizes itself round about in blokes between sort of 16 and 20 or that can be a bit earlier and in girls sort of 14 and 18 and the load that you put your hip joint through in those years influences how your hip develops So if you play a lot of impact sports, American football, ice hockey, basketball, football, rugby, it changes the shape of your hip joint and makes you much more susceptible to developing hip impingement. Mm -hmm. We can see that on x-ray. Okay, so just park that one for a moment. If you look at patients that are about to have a hip replacement, somewhere between 70 and 90% of them have hip impingement as an underlying diagnosis. So the whole concept of idiopathic arthritis Mm. or arthritis with no known cause it just doesn't exist it's bollocks we know why patients um, get arthritic hips so two questions arise from that really one is can you do anything about it i.e you know can you change that and Mm. secondly how do you identify those patients earlier than they've got arthritic change and actually it's it's not too difficult to do the difficulty is in the surgery to correct it. And, mm-hmm. and actually that's what I've moved more and more and more towards. And we're doing a lot of that with keyhole surgery now. So um, it's it's safe, it's well tolerated, it's pretty darn good, you know, 90% of patients are happy. And you're changing the shape of the hip joint. So you're decompressing it to make people more comfortable, give them quality of life. But also you're probably impacting the joint replacement rate for hips 
in the future. Now, that may not sound like much, but we do on average 90,000 hip replacements a year in the UK. So that's potentially 70,000 patients a year could avoid having a hip replacement. That's huge. That's massive, isn't it? And so are you then concentrating with the arthroscopic approach of on, on, on changing the angle of certain regions of the acetabulum? No. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it's defining what's normal there. And I think mm-hmm. this is the concept that a lot of people don't quite get with regards to hip impingement. It's not just change the acetabulum, which is what you probably need to do if you've got a dysplastic or underdeveloped hip. And that's that's a much bigger operation. And I must admit, I, I saw a few of those when I was training, not interested in doing them. It's big, big, big surgery. But what you're looking at is changing the growth-related effects. So the reason that patients get symptoms in hip impingement is because the labrum or the seal around the hip joint gets damaged. It's got mm-hmm. a rich nerve supply, it's got a very rich blood supply. So when it's irritated, it bleeds and it hurts. It bloody hurts, basically. So you need to preserve the labrum, but you've got to treat the impingement. And all of our learning from this really came from, well, what's causing the damage to the labrum? I mean, I can show you a whole load of um, uh, fluoroscopic images, so intraoptic pictures, when you take a patient's hip through a range of movement, an ordinary range of movement, you know, something like sitting down on the loo, for example, where their hip is getting to a point where they've got a bump of bone and it's going... So the poor old labrum sat between a rock and a hard place, quite literally. So you've got to give that room. So what, what I'm concentrating on in particular is what, what I call a functional range of movement. Mm-hmm. So if you're a ballerina, unless you've got a dysplastic hip, you will impinge because of the range of movement that you're putting your hip through. So with those people, you shouldn't offer them surgery. That's behavioral modification. You say to them, look, just stop doing it. You know, doctor, it hurts my head when I do this. Don't bloody do it then. Um, Whereas if you've got someone who is a former rugby player and who can't even sit in a car without getting discomfort in their hip, and then they can't get out of their car before it goes clunk and they go, fuck, hip's gone again. You know, those people almost certainly have impingement. You can change the way that that hip joint articulates with keyhole surgery. Well, we have all those problems with dogs, um, the calf birth disease. As I said, pretty much, oh, well, not mainly in, in, in Westies. It's in a few is, other places, but mainly Is Westies. this because Westies do ballet, Julian? It's because Westies do ballet, absolutely. And you should see them in a tutu. And... It suits them so well. Yeah. Uh, and well, they've got four legs. Is it not called a 4-4? Four, four? <laughs> <laughs> so what we tend to do is we, we usually don't uh, manage to save the, the femoral head. So we're then faced with either doing uh, an excision arthroplasty, and most of them do very, very well with that, uh, or, or putting a, a, a THR total hip replacement in. Yeah. Uh, with, um, with hip dysplasia, then we often see uh, a youngish group, so juvenile uh, Labrador, for the sake of arguments, uh, eight to, to 10 months, uh, with, with signs of, of intermittent hind limb lameness and a, a bunny hopping gait up the stairs and things that, that gives us an indication there might be hip dysplasia. The x-rays will show us that there is. And if they're young enough, so if they're for about 11, 12 months, then we'll either try and do something called a, 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 a pubic synthiodesis, yeah. where we essentially uh, cauterize the ventral part of the pubis, which allows then the uh, dorsal part of the pubis to, to continue oh, growing. And it flattens the um, uh, the pubis out a little bit, or, or we do um, a, a TPO, a triple pelvic osteotomy, yeah. and swing the the acetabular out in the position. Now, to give you an idea of, of how successful that is, the TPO was initially called a totally pointless operation. Yeah. Although with with improved implants and improved measurement of the angles with with um, three dimensional CT etc., it has become a lot more successful. Although Synthiodesis is still a bit of a, yeah, might work, might not. Yeah. Is, that, is that a genetic thing, Julian, or is that... Um... A, a variety of, of effects and, and, and of, of causes, rather. Uh, there certainly is a genetic aspect to it because we know that certain breeds are more prone to it. Right. Not, not just due to anatomical um, 
similarities or differences, but some very anatomically similar breeds will have very, very different ranges of hip scores. I'm, I'm, so, I'm just thinking about the whole Alsatian thing and the, you know, you know, back in the... The sleep, sleeping back, etc. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and so they're it, now like this, aren't they? They can barely yeah. open their hips up at all. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's been uh, muted as a, as a cause of both hip dysplasia and uh, um, lumbar sacral stenosis and, and right. things like that. And, and so breeding and genetics have their uh, factors to play, their, their part to play. Nutrition, uh, particularly in the early years, uh, is a great uh, modifier, uh, usually a negative modifier. Sorry? Vitamin D, is that important in dogs? It, it is, it is. And actually, it's usually the other side of that, um, that, that vitamin balance, which is uh, over-supplementation with calcium. So a lot of clients, particularly with those bigger breeds, will want to feed calcium supplements to their dog. And that creates a vitamin D, calcium, phosphorus imbalance and tends to, to lead to really asymmetric growth in, in a lot of the joints. That's, uh, that's fascinating. I, I'm going to get topical. For a oh, moment. yes, go on then. Yeah, I, I I love this argument, but the the actual scientific basis behind skin colour and race and ethnicity, if you want to call it that, is entirely down to sunlight and vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there is no genetic difference between anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if Mike, Julian, Julian's probably um, slightly better able to cope with it, but if Mike or myself lived in sub-Saharan Africa 200 years ago, we would have been wiped out by skin cancer. Hmm. So our, our genetic heritage would have gone straight away. Similarly, if our darker skinned um, relatives had lived in Scandinavia, they would have suffered with vitamin D deficiency, osteomalacia, rickets, etc. Rickets, yeah, yeah. And so they wouldn't, have, let's, let's put it bluntly, they wouldn't have been able to run around. They, wouldn't, they would have been bandy-legged and pretty useless and nobody would have wanted to mate with them. So, so their genetic line would have died out. So actually, mm. it's natural selection and it's purely down to sunlight and vitamin D. Uh, and so I'm very keen on that as a concept. And anyone who has any issues with race, ethnic equality, etc., just needs to realise that they might use colour of skin as a means of differentiating people, but actually what they are is they're culturalist. They, are, yes. they don't like that <clears throat> culture, whether or not that's religion, creed, or whatever. Uh, and it, it's it's just sickening. It's born out of ignorance. I'll get off my yeah. side. Yeah, I quite, I quite agree, Andy. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, there's one culture of people, I think I can say, one culture of people I, I don't like. I'll be perfectly honest, I don't like lip readers and i'll tell you there's a reason for that uh that the reason is that, that i think they're quite sneaky lip readers and they know exactly what you're saying from way across the room to kind of spies in a way and i apologize to dame edna for nicking uh, her joke on that they call plays on american football don't they and, and the coaches have got their headsets on and their microphones and, yeah. and then they hold their they hold their thing up and they they sort of go <laughs> And, and they're uh, calling. Uh, Mike, can I congratulate Queen, you? Queen, Queen. <laughs> can I congratulate you for getting the educational content and advertising the journal there? And not <laughs> or whatever it is so, that was actually on top of it. So, so for those that weren't able to see, uh, Mike is now holding up a, a journal that says big, oh, sorry, it says veterinary anesthesia and analgesia. It's an Elsevier. I read that as anal I thought that was something completely different. <laughs> Andy, seriously, the quality of some of those papers, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But, I, but it's nice and shiny. You can't really wipe with that, can you? you can, can, I, can I just bring up something important, which is that my, my drink is empty. Oh, okay. Now, you go, then. Um, I, I've got another gin here, and I think you might be quite interested in it, because there's a bit of a story behind it. Okay? So this is... from the Queen, is it? No, no, this is gin. This is another Chilgrove gin. So the, the last one I had was Chilgrove. I thought, I thought you said Chil. You said it wasn't royal. Isn't Chilgrove estate something to do with um, Charlie or whatever his name is? No, no, no. Highgrove. No, no. Oh, that's Highgrove. Okay. Highgrove. Chilgrove, Chilgrove is not from us. Chichester, mate. 
Yes, yes, really? local. Okay. Really nice, really nice gin. I like it. They're not our sponsors yet, no. But um, other gins are available. But this is also a chill Depending on how much gin. they want to pay. And what I've done is I've got a certain flower in here. I'll tell you about later. But if you put a little bit of lemon in this, watch what happens. Nothing. Hold on. I'll stir it. The lemon floats, Julian. The lemon, the lemon floats. And this worked very well in all the rehearsals earlier. I'm going to squeeze a little bit more. For, for people who can't see this, this, does, is, this, is, this is live science. And Julian is holding up a glass here of, of a deep purple blue clearly, drink. It's clearly not colour. a lemon slice. Oh, well, there we go. Do you see it's turning slightly purple? Glass. It was and purple it's anyway. still purple. No, it was blue. It was blue and before. Purple from purple. So yeah, it's definitely purple. In, do you know, do you yeah, know the reason? It, we're it, not very good at science, Andy. <laughs> we're not, we're not reason, really the science guys on this one. Yeah, yeah. I think you might need The reason this isn't working very well, I'll let you see. <laughs> so what it's, it's, it's blue. It's supposed to turn purple, and it will do, with a with an increase in, in acidity. Yeah. Decrease in pH. You probably should need now, some tonic in there, mate. See, no, I'm, I made it earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, tonic is acidic. So I put a little bit of bicarbonate soda in just to buffer it. And I put a bit too much in, so <laughs> it's not working very well. However, it does taste very nice. Um, so, so what are the put bike up in? His lactate tolerance has gone through the roof there, Mike. We should get him doing an, an interval session now. Yeah, absolutely. The flowers, hold on, I've got to tell the flowers. The flowers are amazing. They're, um, I got them uh, when I was in Thailand and they're called uh, butterfly pea flowers. Uh, but the the Latin name is great. It's uh, it's Clitoria tenorata. I've got a I've got a picture here. This is this is the flower. I don't know why it's called that. I'm so, it, it just it just shows that the botanists in the 1800s uh, didn't get out an awful lot. But I was really I was really pleased with myself because I knew we bought these back from Thailand, and I thought I'll ask uh, ask my wife where they are. I thought no, I will find the clitoria myself, and I managed to. Yeah, so, right. How many years of marriage did it take you to get there? Uh, it took a long time. I almost gave up several times. I'll be honest. Yeah. But I found it in the end. So first first for men everywhere. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> I put far too much bicarbonate soda in this. I'm terribly sorry. That so will that, have an so what, are the, what are the key botanicals of this particular gin then, Julian? <coughs> I've seen this one around. I've, but, I've, but, I've declined to find a pea flower, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, it's a uh, bum, 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 uh, tree balance, summer's day gin, uh, sound of leather on willow. Hang on, what's all this about? That's cricket. Oh, it's cricket, chill, uh, I've no idea. It's it's gin, okay, Mike. Look, Mike, you've probably got a special clip again, haven't you, about a nice gin that you're preparing? Well, we could probably show one or two tonight. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to show that? I'll read about this gin, and um... <laughs> what? And I'll I'll introduce <laughs> you into one of my special gins. What I'm going to make for tonight is a spiced gin. It's called Opia. Well, I'm told that's how it's pronounced anyway. Now, instead of doing the, the regular citrus bites with it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to crush a couple of cardamom pods and pop those in and sprinkle of pink pepper into the glass, followed by. Oh! <laughs> followed by. Thank you! The ice. And a generous measure of this curry in a glass. I'm looking here just to bring out some of those wonderful Asiatic <laughs> flavours. Should we start again? <laughs> Forgotten what I was saying. Okay, ready? So. In with the swizzle stick, and here we go again. Squash those bubbles down. We go mixing in there. As I say, nice light tonic water, so we don't detract from all the spices and the herbs in the gin. There we go. Up here, gin and tonic, curry in a glass. Cheers.
I have here a blue coloured solution. And look, I'm going to add some lemon to it. And oh, it's there. magic. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? It's still blue. Fucking thing. <laughs> no, it's not. Look, let's not. Look, there, look, 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 look. Yeah. It, it matches the colour of your shirt perfectly. It's almost it's, like you planned it. It's changed colour. Oh, it's now turned there purple. It's now turned purple. Clitoria tenorata. Fantastic. Well done. Don't well. ever, ever put bicarbosoda in your gin and tonic. No. <laughs> There are quite a few um, ice in your gin trialists have tried using um, bicarbonate of soda in their warm up drinks to act as a buffer for lactate. I've avoided ever trying that because they do say that one of the side effects is potential gastrointestinal rush, shall we say. Yeah, the last thing you want when you're about to race on a bike is a need for a toilet. It's distinctly unpleasant. I can foolishly bring it back onto orthopedics. Yeah, go on then. Because I'm out of my depth on cycles. I've got a cycle, a really nice bike. Um, I, I get no time to use it. And when I do, uh, it's normally going along the flat because my wife and girls don't do hills. Anyway, orthopedics. Mm. Uh, do you use any stem cells? I know they're a little bit experimental uh. in humans, but... So, so, yeah, stem cells. I've, I've had a, a few successful cases now where I've uh, collected uh, falciform fat, sent it off for stem cell enrichment and then injected it into elbow and or hip joints. Yeah, so the jury's out on that and there mm. are several reasons for it. Number one, there's the inconsistency of what you're injecting. Mm. So... Uh, there was a vogue for platelet-rich plasma, so aspirating or taking a sample of blood, spinning it down, concentrating uh, the platelets, which have a lot of inflammatory mediators in there, and you, you inject that. The problem is, depending on the time of day, how much coffee you've had, what your actual phenotype is as a person, mm. you know, all those things vary what you got from PRP. The, the sort of uniform thing with PRP was that it hurt a hell of a lot more than a standard injection of local anaesthetic and steroid. Hmm. So patients got a hell of a lot of pain from it. Now, there, there are some uh, really good uses and some people that have really been avid proponents of it. One of the guys is the Barcelona surgeon, Ramon Cugat, who, and look, I'm a Man City fan, so I've read a little bit about him. And all of their professional footballers, when they're injured, they go and see him largely because of his work using PRP biologics, etc. And there potentially is some merit there, because if you can inject something and get a professional footballer or any sports person back to competitive sport 48 hours earlier over a six week recovery period, they might play one game more. Because, of course, they're a commodity. Does it change the long term? Almost certainly not. But, but there are things like, going back to what we were talking about with hip arthroscopy and the labrum, etc. One of the problems is if you can't get the labrum to heal, and there are definitely biological changes that occur that are age-related. So over the age of 45 to 50, repairing the labrum is more or less futile. It just doesn't work. There are some exceptions, but generally speaking, it doesn't work. So if, for example, we actually had a biological scaffold that we could use, that we could put some stem cells into that would actually make that biological scaffold something that was not only biologically living, but also performed the function of the labour in the hip, actually that would be of significant benefit. But mm. we're just not there with the technology at the moment. It's a bit hit and yeah. miss. We, we don't know whether those stem cells are going to be directed to make the cells we want them to make. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, again, use, use PRP uh, on occasion at the practice. Uh, we have uh, our in-house haematology analyzer will tell us the concentration of platelets we've got within the sample that's yielded. And of course, our patients uh, are not necessarily coffee drinkers. So, um, so th there is an argument for, for more consistency being available for, for dogs and cats. But I agree, it's, it's um, semi-experimental stuff. Uh, I, I, I got it to, to trial. Um, 
and then realized that I have absolutely no way of maintaining and performing a consistent clinical trial, nor would I have Home Office approval to do that. So I'm following the, uh, uh, the, the recommendations by the people who supply it and using it in that way. But it's also how you measure outcome in your situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we can get a questionnaire to patients and, and they can tick a box to say whether or not they're, they're better or worse, etc. But But even then, you're reliant upon the material that you're dealing with because quite a few patients... And I've, I've had this before. So, Mr. So-and-so, how is your knee doing? Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. So why on the questionnaire have you written you're in extreme pain? Oh, my back's been murder. Yeah, but it says here knee questionnaire. What, what is it about that that you don't understand? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we have similar things. We have questionnaires that we can send out to, to the, the owners uh, and they'll um, work out uh, roughly what, what answers to give to make you happy that you've done a good job. Um, and we have more objective measures like force plate analysis. Yeah, we can do we, we have um, gait assessment. Uh, and, and particularly, you know, with, with good old iPhones, uh, other phones are available. Uh, we can do slow motion well, studies. Anymore, so, so yeah, experimental stuff. It is all experimental stuff. Uh, cruciates. How are you doing cruciates these days? Um, hamstring reconstruction. Mm-hmm. I still use that because it's reliable and the um, insult to the patient is pretty low. That's that's a reliable operation. Is it's that, that pull through? Um, yeah, we fix them with an endo button at the top and I use um, uh, just an interference screw at the bottom. Uh, there's mm-hmm. the, the, the thing with cruciate ligament reconstruction is that you can never have enough fast cars to satisfy knee surgeons. So they have to find a new technique of doing it and they have to advertise um, how good they are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the bottom line is it is a collagen interposition graft. Put it in the right place, fix it reasonably well, rehab the patient, boom, done. Don't, don't argue the toss, double bundle, triple bundle, quadruple bundle, interference, screw, suspension fit, blah, 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 blah. Just do the bloody operation correctly. And if you do and, it right the first time, they'll do well. And make sure they have physiotherapy afterwards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, choose the patient. Didn't that originate yeah. in equine surgery, Julian? I don't know. Don't do horses, they kick me. All right. <laughs> Well, we, we have I, I do routinely I do three types of cruciate surgery uh, a lateral suture so we're placing a, a polypropylene uh, implant or explant. yeah um, I do a, a, a TPLO a tibial plateau leveling osteotomy yeah and a TTA a, a tibial tuberosity advancement yeah um, how do I decide well pre- yeah. pretty much Owner expectation is the answer. Something that I feel really, really deeply about. So if you find me on Facebook, you'll, you'll see what I wrote. And it was really my experience of my first on call with coronavirus, because operating in PPE was fucking horrendous. Yeah. It was grim. You know, when you're dealing with trauma, you know where you wear a lead mm. apron, you're x-raying through the mm. case. The case is going on for two and a half hours, etc., And you can't breathe and you're completely covered so you're just sweating from every yeah, there's yeah. nowhere to go as, as if there wasn't enough stress anyway of trying to work out where bits should go anatomically yeah although to be fair that surgery is surgery it's not difficult um no no you, you have to concentrate on it though yeah yeah more, more or less it becomes a lot of it becomes second nature but but you're right you do have to concentrate uh, it, mm. it's actually it's muscle memory which makes a massive mm as to how good people are as surgeons because they'll they'll remember where their hands were at any given point in the operation and there's no more operation that's more important for that with than hip arthroscopy because you're in a deep um spherical joint um yes. going through quite a big soft tissue plane and you're drilling into someone's pelvis so it's not only where the tip of the drill is it's the angle that you're drilling at, mm. looking at a flat screen in front of you and you've got a complex 3d structure you know you've got all that shit going on but but that muscle memory is really quite stark and it, it's amazing that we are able to do that repetitively even though each patient's anatomy is different 
So mm. actually, there is a real skill to that learning, but it's all subconscious. It, it is. It is. I uh, about three years ago, I, I started doing um, laparoscopy. Yeah. And I do you know, several laparoscopic space a week now and other other laparoscopic procedures. And um, the first a couple of dozen I did, I was thinking, how on earth do people manage this? And now, you know, I'm, I'm teaching other people and I'm showing them, I'm just saying, I'm going to pop the spleen over to one side and have a look at what's going on here and pop it back. And they say, how do you do that? And you think, well, we have no idea, actually, but you just do it. I've got a registrar and, and, that I'm teaching at the moment because yeah. he wants to come and work alongside me as a consultant and he should be absolutely fine with it. Um, but when he's stuck, I'll, I'll just say, well, hang on a moment, let me adjust. And I'll do it. And, and he looks at me as if to say, you bastard. Can yeah. Yeah. Well, the answer is I've done two and a half thousand. Sure. So, you know, it's just repetitive learning, isn't it? And it, like that, it is. But it, it is, it, it, it's, um, it is a depth of field and it's um, a distanced proprioception, isn't it? Yeah. So you, you're being aware of things at a certain or even uncertain distance because I, 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 I did a lap spay on Monday on a four kilogram uh, dog and on um, yesterday on a, on a 50 kilo dog. And, you know, the, the distance is there and the size of everything is, is very, very different. But it's exactly the same muscle memory. And what, when you've got used to working at a distance, then it doesn't seem to matter exactly what that distance is. And, and you must have, um, you know, the buatrics, you must have some really quite large people with, with huge tissue planes to get through. Oh, to yeah. find the... Thankfully, those people I can just turn and say, look, I can't make you better unless you sort yourself out first. Go right. away, lose weight. I can't get into your hip joint. Yeah. There, are, there are extra long instruments to allow you to do that, but you can't do anything when you get in there because when you, when you think about it, you're operating down a tunnel. And if that tunnel is that long, in order to produce that much movement at the tip, you've got- The tunnel's got to be that wide. And, and it's resisted by the yeah. entire tissue plane depth. Yes. So you just can't do it as, that's simple vectors. Mm. Uh, and, you know, just angular geometry there. So mm -hmm. yeah, forget it. What's really funny is when you get a grasp of what you're doing yourself. So, when you watch someone else doing an operation, you'll see that they want to look around the corner. And of course, we, we use a 70 degree mm. scope for um, arthroscopy in the hip, as opposed to a 30 degree in the knee and the shoulder, etc. And so you can look around by rotating the light source, rotating the camera. When you want to look around a corner, you watch the number of people that yeah. do this. It's really funny. And, and you want to look a little bit further back. So. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I do it myself. I'm well aware of it. But yeah. bloody funny, nonetheless. Yeah, I know. My my, um, my assistant who I'm teaching to do lap space at the moment uh, is very much like that. Um, you know, I'll say, well, look, just the, the ovary is going to be just caudal to, to the kidney, and she'll go, yeah. Look, move <laughs> right around the corner there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, it is. It is very funny. Mm. Um, I, I think we're potentially we've got a good generation of surgeons up and coming simply because of video gaming playstation yeah. etc all that sort of distance stuff there's a lot of robotic surgery yes used now yeah yeah i think so i do like getting down and dirty though and rummaging through uh, joints with, with bare hands well not bare hands but that's interesting you say that because um i was i was one of the one of the guys the other day and he went to ring the doorbell and he used his thumb and that's because they do thumbs and thumbs on text and they're that's interesting phone. yeah that's just wrong isn't it and he went yeah. to ring the doorbell with his thumb bizarre and i i sort of wonder where what age that cutoff is where yeah. we, we lost the use of this one and started to use this one more often that is interesting i must admit i, I didn't know from writing, this way <laughs> from, from writing, are, are we at that point then julian where we need the cpd certificate 
Have we Ooh. had an evening of CPD on? on yeah, yeah, CPD, completely pointless dialogue. CPD, <laughs> continual professional development. Continuing. Is it? Or continuous. Completely pointless dialogue, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to report you to the RCVS. We are, we are. Yeah. It could be, it could I be. It could be completely pointless dialogue. However, it's not because we are reflecting on the information we've learned. Oh. Should we do that? A little time to reflect? Well, no, we need the certificate first. Oh, yes. There we go. I've got a certificate. There we go. So, yet another CPD certificate. Uh, if you have received this certificate, then you have benefited generally in life from watching Bethany Rambles. Ramblings. And, uh, it's got today's date. Me and ramblings. Veterinary ramblings. Ramblings. What did I say? Rambles. Yeah. It's it's the bicarb. Yeah, I think it is. Too much uh, bicarb. And there there are there are a few orthopedic injuries. We'll tell you about this this chihuahua in just a moment. But in order to get this CBD certificate, we've got to reflect. We do. We do have to reflect because that's that's part of the the whole CPD thing. And that it requires reflection on the CPD that you have uh, you've received or, or mm. delivered, because you get points for delivering CPD. Mm. Wow, we, we must have hundreds of points. Well, a thousands of points, thousands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so, if this is a panel show, who won? Who adjudicates? Uh, Mike and I adjudicate. Uh, yeah, you didn't win, Andy. Did sorry. Mike, how many did you get? What points? Yeah, I'm a competitive cyclist. Did I win? You came within the top three. Yeah, yeah. Podium. Yeah, yeah podium. Yeah. Podium. Fantastic. So let's let's just briefly for a moment just just pause and reflect on that. You're not taking your reflection seriously, Julian. No, I am. I am. Okay. Trying to get the taste of bicarbonate out of my mouth. <laughs> you can't put yourself a proper gin. I'll go put myself a proper gin. I'm re I've reflected. I'm going to put myself a proper gin. Right, thank you for joining us in, in reflection there, Andy. That, that's much appreciated. That's, that's fine. If I'd had a mirror, it would have been slightly better, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got the computer. That'll do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, but the lighting is bad. I look as if I've been drinking all evening here. I mean, heaven forbid. That's so this this chihuahua, yeah, this do it. chihuahua with the, with a fractured uh, radius and ulna, uh, I saw about four years ago, and um, it had it had broken its leg uh, in in a bizarre postman incident. So this little dog, the, the, the house, um, it was a, a maisonette, and, and so the, the front door opened immediately onto the stairs, which went up to the to the uh, first floor and this little dog would stand at the top of the stairs ready to bark so so loudly and so forcefully it would jump up off the ground whenever someone came to the front door and the postman put a letter through the door and this dog was incandescent with rage and bombed down the stairs tripped and <laughs> hit the front door superman style yeah yeah fractured his front leg um and so um so I fixed it. This is a simple plate on the uh, on the radius. Did very well. Uh, four months later, I saw it again. Uh, the owner said, lame again. I thought, well, okay, lame again is a pretty uh, mild term for the fact that it uh, fractured its leg pretty badly. So, okay, got any, what, what's happened? Is, is the implant broken? Are the screws pulled out? What, what's happened? But it was the other leg. Exactly the same fracture on the other leg and I said to the owner yeah, what, what happened I thought you said you were going to get a baby gate there she said I, I, I did but unfortunately I left it open the postman came to the door and I put my foot out to stop the dog from running downstairs and inadvertently kicked him through <laughs> the front door oh dear this poor dog you you try hearing that and 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 not stifling a giggle it was fine the poor dog was absolutely fine in the end uh, it did have some some glass cuts um and the postman apparently changed his round <laughs> quite right too 
little four kilo child bursting through the glass of the front door. I mean, I, I do have, I have a couple, one, one of which is tragic. The other one is just classic um, rummy humour, dare I say. They, they actually both come from when I was junior doctor in Birmingham. One very, very poor guy had been involved in a road traffic accident and had lost a leg. And he'd also had very no careless, and he looked everywhere for it. Yeah, 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 he did. Yeah. But the car had gone over it. Well, actually, that, that was an even worse one. A guy, a guy who was um, uh, involved in a, a van accident just outside of Oxford when I was training there, and um, van rolled over, and he had a traumatic amputation of his arm. Oh, gosh. And the paramedics arrived within about eight minutes, and literally one of the paramedics had seen the arm on the other side of the road, was literally just going across to pick it up, car came around the other way and ran over the road. So re-implantation was not possible without giving too much away. Guess what the patient's surname was? Hook. <laughs> I shit you not. <laughs> Fantastic. And then the last one, this, this cracked me up no end. Um, Birmingham hospitals were never, ever quiet. But one day I was a houseman on call for surgery. And then they bleeped and said, I was a patient for you. Okay, great. Wandered down. Casualties empty. Where's my patient? Oh, he's round the back. Why is he round the back? You've got loads of empty cubicles here. Yeah, you'll see. And this poor bloke was diabetic and he had some very bad ulcers on his feet. And I wandered around there, and I kid you not, the stench was just, just grim. You see all sorts of things when you're a medic, surgeon. The stench from this one was just unbelievable. So there I am, sort of effectively holding my nose, trying to take a history from this guy whose leg is pretty rancid. Um, obviously very poor blood supply, ulcers, infection, the worst. So how long have you had this problem? Oh, about six months. Six months. So he's been smelling that bad for six months. Yeah, about that. So, so how have you managed to hide that from your wife? Oh, we sleep in separate bedrooms. Yeah, but what about during the day? Oh, well, I suffer with really bad flatulence and I've been blaming it on that. <laughs> so he basically, rather claimed that he was pretty much shitting himself right when he left <laughs> Poor bloke. <laughs> Andy, when when were you when were you a, a, a junior doctor in Birmingham? Uh, now let me see. Eighty seven. I went to medical school there. I was that's a right, that's, fine. that's okay. That's all right. That's okay. That's okay. It was, well, was it you, Mike? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I did used to habituate the A and E departments of Birmingham at the time. Wasn't you? Was it Mike with um, the the episode with the um, shall we say the rapidly vibrating humming instrument stuck in a body cavity? No, <laughs> no. Okay, because that, that that is a wonderful apocryphal tale. I genuinely have no idea how true this is. When when the um, rather quick witted junior doctor says to said person who's got something shoved in a body cavity that's just stuck there, said. I'm really sorry, sir, we're a bit confused. Are you here for a removal or do you just want a battery change? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. So, so we've, we've, we've done our introduction. Mm -hmm. We've done our CPD. We've had our CPD certificates. Is it, is it time for a joke, Julian? Oh, I've got a joke. I've got a joke. I, I usually I usually tell a really naff joke about now, and uh, it's, it's more or less incumbent on you as our guests to laugh heartily at it and say, "What a great joke!" But you don't have to. So I was trying I'm trying to think of, of something relevant. You, you uh, do actually, because he gets really hurt if you don't. I is I is that what Monty Python would call a contractual obligation? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was in the small print earlier. Ah, okay. So I was, I was trying to think of a, of a joke that, that, that was sort of. Uh, relevant to 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 both of our uh, orthopedic um careers and and, and actually the, the, there's one thing that ties it together i couldn't think of a one health joke but uh evidence-based medicine evidence-based surgery because what does that mean are you, are you practicing evidence-based surgery do you do that of course yeah, yeah. yeah.
Yeah, and, and we always we always do. Um, but actually, it struck me that what what is what is evidence based, and this joke I think really tells you what what evidence base is. And it's it's um, the teacher at school that says uh, to 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 the kids, look, um, I want one of you to come up with with a sentence using the word definitely. And Mary puts her hand up and says, yes, miss. Yes, miss, I know, because it's Friday. We're definitely going to have fish tonight, miss. Oh, okay. You might well do. Good little Catholics. You, you have your fish on a Friday night. But what if your parent goes out to buy... No, I didn't say your mum goes out. Your parent goes out to buy the fish, but it's off, or the fishmonger's closed, or she can't get in due to coronavirus, or whatever. So, you know, you might not. Uh, anyone else? Don't, don't beat me, miss me. Yes, yes. Oh, uh, uh, my dad will definitely pick me up from school tonight. Well, yes, Daniel, but what if he has a fatal accident on the way home? Uh, what if his car's stolen or something? So it's, it's highly likely, but, but not definite. And this goes on for a while, and eventually Johnny puts his hand up. Yeah, miss, I've got one. Yes, Johnny, what is it? Well, yeah, I've got, I've got a sentence, but I've got a question first. Yes, Johnny. Yeah, do farts have lumps? No, Johnny. Oh, I'll definitely shit my pants then, miss. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Do you know, Mike, we didn't get on to talking about litigation in the NHS. We've hardly touched on cycling. <laughs> we really have rambled, haven't we? It is a ramble. It's, there's nothing to it. There's no structure to it. No. There's ever a structure we've failed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you want to talk about that, then, no, uh, we'll have to come back. <laughs> Please do. You've been very, you've been very, <laughs> very, well. very, very happy to have you back. Andy. So <laughs> on that note, can I say, Andy Langdown, thank you very much indeed. Gracias, amigo. Thank you for coming. Thank uh, you for joining us. What an absolute pleasure. May your, may your dog go with you. May yeah, your dog go with you. When when we um, when lockdown uh, has finally gone, we'll do this in real life without the cameras because it was a blast, guys. Sounds good. It's really good fun. Really good. You even see the fingers there, Andy. So this is a little little slight there, a little nod to to Dave Allen. May your dog go with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't want to get too really. God bless. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. definitely, we'll meet up uh, when uh, when lockdown's over. Yeah. It'd be I good did. to do that. I'd enjoy that. Just, oh, just, just remember, green, green. There's no sound. And cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so do you see how professional it all is? You, you, you're no. actually quite amazed, aren't you? That's it. That's the show. That's the rap. That's yeah. it. It's, it's, did you, have you enjoyed it's yourself? Fun now without, yeah, it was great fun. Great fun. Look, I, I love our chats, Mike. Look, we, we shared a few trips up to Altmar, a few up to the velodrome. I love talking bollocks with you. Thank you. <laughs> It's, it's just awesome, and and Gillian yeah. is the absolute perfect foil. It's brilliant, what great fun. It's uh, we, we enjoy it. It's it's a Wednesday night of pleasure. Good fun. Yeah. This, this is our sort of finding sanity in the middle of. <laughs> oh man, right. That's excellent. I need to go and reacquaint myself with the family. Um, you... Guys, we should we should do this again, but we should might sort it out and we'll meet up because that'll be awesome. Yeah, that'd be I'm great. I'm, be I'm great. really thrilled. Andy, you've been amazing tonight. Thank you very much indeed. Bless yeah, you. thank you so much. Cheers, yeah. guys. Take care. Good. You take, take care. care, Andy. That Bye. 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 Take care. Take care. Go. Oh, that was fantastic, mate. Enjoy really that. good. Yeah, fantastic. What a great guy. Yeah, he is. He's a super guy. Yeah. Super guy. And as he said, we didn't talk about cycling and all any of that sort of stuff. Tantalisingly uh, small amounts of everything, wasn't there? There's was just yeah. too much to fit in. Hello, everybody. Thank you all so much for supporting Veterinary Rambling so far. We really appreciate every single one of you for tuning in to enjoy our show. We have loved interviewing people over our first season, but we really need your help to continue. Now, we don't want to make a profit... We only want to help support our post-production team who've given us 100% from the get-go. Mm -hmm. It takes, yep. would you believe, on average, eight hours of editing work to take an episode from film to release. And we want to help support the team who make this possible for us. That, that doesn't surprise me. Not, <laughs> I'm surprised it's as quick as eight hours, to be honest with you.
<laughs> and, and seriously, it's, it's, a it's a testament to the guys because we've, we've worked with a number of fabulously creative people who very kindly donated or commissioned artworks for us to offer as rewards for, donation, for donations. I'll have another drink. Have another drink. Have another drink. And, and while you're having a drink, people, please look, take a look because we'd love to be able to offer you some sort of physical memento to say thank you for supporting us. Yeah, the, the, the support would, would mean a world to us. We love sharing stories, and it's not that often that we get to see other human sides or other sides of the story. When, when we discuss some of the medical or veterinary issues that we, we've chatted about, and, well... And, and- and that's really what keeps us going, isn't it, Mike? That's what we love about it. So, so we'd yeah. love to be able to continue what we do and expand our horizons further so we can keep providing entertainment, education, and good conversations to the rest of our profession and to the whole world. Oh, I, I like the whole world. <laughs> so, or at least well, the Isle of Wight. Well, the Isle of Wight, yeah, especially the Isle of Wight. Although... although um, I think we've got somebody that listens on the Isle of Man. The Isle of Man? Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is the big time, Mike. Oh, yeah. So what yeah. are people doing? How can they get more information? Well, the best place is keep an eye on our Facebook page. Or what we'd really like you to do is go to www.kickstarter.com. Search for Veterinary Ramblings, Podcast Fundraiser. That's Veterinary veterinary Ramblings, Podcast Fundraiser. And have a look and see what we've got there. Great. I'm going to look now. Go do it. How exciting. (laughs) May your dog go with you. Oh, may your dog go with you too, Julian. Cheers. Cheers.